Welcome to Podventures in Odyssey. I'm Emily. And I'm Tatiana. Today we are in Album 2, Episode 2. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I had a moment there. I was like, are we actually in Album 3? No, we're in Album 3! We are in Album 3! <laughs> I just agreed with you! Being like, yeah? <laughs> oh this no! This is what happens when we take three or four weeks off oh from recording. Oh my gosh! And all of this coming on the tails of last episode when we were like, "Congratulations to us! We're on album three. <laughs> Listeners in podcasting time, it's been four weeks. Yeah, which in dog years is like five years. <laughs> I think that's patently false. It's been a long time, is what I'm saying. Every week we re-listen to an episode of Adventures in Odyssey, and then we recap and discuss. Today we are in album three, episode two. <laughs> Nailed it. Got there. Yeah. So rumor has it is the name of this episode, and um, should we launch in what, um, there's not a whole lot of lead in to it, is there? No, the Chris setup is just a couple sentences. Mm-hmm. Where she introduces the Kirbin family as a new family who has somewhat recently moved to Odyssey, and they keep to themselves, and that's kind of all she says? Uh, yes, and then she sets us up for the conflict of the episode by introducing Jack and Lucy into this equation. Mm-hmm. Beloved children from, I think, uh, we've only seen them once before, right? In the in Jonah the, episode? Yeah, Jonah. So, they're back. Finally. Oh my gosh. I've been so excited for kids to start coming back, and now they're finally coming back. <laughs> After all of our one-off children, we're starting to get a, like, stable cast of characters. My first thought was, if this is your introduction to Lucy, it's a terrible introduction to her character. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of get a sense of her, but it's, yeah, it's not... Um... She's a little bit more kind I think, than this episode portrays her Yeah, overall. this is very young Lucy. Young and swayed by Jack's, um... What? Fear-mongering? <laughs> I was going to say hot-headedness, but... Yeah, that's more accurate, I think. Um, this is a perfectly accurate portrayal of who Jack is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they walk to school and they walk past the Kirbin's house, so that is the connection. And that is the start of the drama. In our first scene, they're walking to school and Lucy expresses to Jack that the kid in the window gives her the creeps. Which, I mean, he watches them walk to school every day and without context, that could be very scary. Yeah, I can imagine that being unsettling if every day you walk past a house and somebody just watches you from the window. I think it's, like, less creepy at being a child, though. I don't yeah. know. It's hard for me to imagine being creeped out by a kid my own age. Yeah, definitely if it was an adult, it would be a lot oh, more gosh. exciting. <laughs> yeah, but for whatever reason, I mean, he stares at them and Lucy doesn't like it. And they start comparing notes about this house. And I don't really remember exactly how much information they share with each other. And I don't remember who knew what exactly. Yeah. Um, but... It does come up that the mother doesn't talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Jack said, oh, my mom has seen, like, the mother in the store and she doesn't talk. And so-and-so has seen the dad. And, you know, they just have, like, weird, like, anecdotes about the family being unusual and being silent and just, I don't know, not being... Kind of distant, not normal for a small town. I was like, this is perfectly normal for a city. Y yeah, true. Yeah, for your neighbors to, like, never talk to you. Mm -hmm. True. Jack mentions that no one ever sees the dad because Lucy doesn't know if it's just the mom and the son mm -hmm. living mm -hmm. alone in the house. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Jack points out, oh, the dad, he, he's in there somewhere. Yeah, and they, what they know is that somebody at school knows more, so they're going to go ask her at school. Yeah, I think during that's lunch. Immediately the next scene is they talk to Alice Pringle, who... <laughs> <laughs> will not be making a reappearance. But they ask her about it, and she has an older brother who does a paper route in the early morning. So her older brother sees the dad of this house every morning at, like, 4.30 mm -hmm. a.m., taking something out of the house, like a big bag, and carrying it into a truck and driving away. And they all naturally assume that 
this is because he is involved with the mafia or he is a terrorist. And the thing that he is carrying out is either cocaine, drugs, terrorist weapons, or a dead body. Whoa. Do we want to cul de sac here? Sure. Because this was the first thing that I was like, oh boy. I will, yeah, I kind of had a lot of thoughts about this. Maybe the least significant of which is the fact that uh, I was a little bit surprised to hear her say the word cocaine in an Odyssey episode. I don't know if that hit you at all. That is very surprising now that you mention it. Yeah. I don't know. It's I don't know, it's kind of neither here nor there, but I just was surprised hearing it as an adult. As a kid, I probably wouldn't have registered it. I don't really know. Yeah. For me, the thing that hit me was the use of the term terrorist, which mm. I know did not have the same kind of connotation back when this episode was released yeah, as it is... does now post-2001. Yes, exactly. This is in the, I think, definitely the 80s still that these episodes are coming out. So, yeah, there was terrorist activity, but it was, like, the world has changed, or America specifically, and especially since 9-11, so. And I'm just thinking, the way that this episode might hit kids nowadays, if they were to listen to Mm. it, Mm -hmm, hearing mm -hmm. this vaguely Middle Eastern family Mm -hmm. referred to as being in connection with terrorism Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it it just carries a lot more baggage than it used to that's why i felt like her saying is the mafia or a terrorist was maybe softening that a little bit but it's still um there's something about this episode too since we're cul-de-sacking is that they never explicitly say where the kirbin family is from like through through the entire episode no country or even like general like area continent of origin is mentioned mm-hmm. um is it even mentioned that they're not from the united states originally i don't think it's ever mentioned other than alluded to by the fact that the wife doesn't speak yeah the wife english doesn't speak well. english spoiler <laughs> in case you didn't listen to the episode <laughs> um yeah we'll learn more about the family later on um there are reasons that i assume Middle Eastern that have to do with what his job actually is. Right, and their name being Kirbin and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that they're Turkish. Yeah. Is what we both assumed. Uh, I think we should also mention the reason that they asked Alice is because they'd heard she'd been inside the house. Oh, that's right. That's how they knew. mm -hmm. But she was actually just on the doorstep selling cookies for the school band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she was like, I didn't actually go in. Like, I wouldn't go in for anything. Everybody is, like, really scared of this family. Um, For seemingly no reason other than... mm, Well, it's other than explicitly in the episode, it's because they're a very private family. And I almost feel like that's not completely genuine. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think the the implied reason is really because they are, like, a non-white, non... English-speaking. Yeah. I don't know. They're new to the area, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, which later on Mr. Whitaker points out um, it's hard in a small town to have the kind of private lifestyle that the Kirbins are trying to maintain, mm-hmm. which, like you mentioned already, like in a big city, nobody is going to care that you're not talking to them. But in a small town, it's like maybe taken a little more personally. Yeah, where if you're not having conversations with every other person you meet in the grocery store, it's a mm-hmm. slight. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I would say about this detail is that it's not that it makes the episode bad that this is like a Turkish family. I just wish that they had made things more explicit. It feels like they're tiptoeing around things for no reason. Mm -hmm. I guess I can understand them not wanting to pin down an exact location just because they're not, like the writers are not Turkish themselves. And I'm almost positive that they're not consulting with any Middle Eastern people when writing this either. Right. For, like, how how accurate is this to your experience? It's sort of a very general story arc of something that might conceivably happen to a family who moves to the United States. Mm-hmm. So, but I still feel like there's no reason for them to not explicitly state certain things that they... It seems like they tiptoe around things that shouldn't be tiptoed around. Yeah. After Alice has relayed all this information, she immediately is like, don't tell anyone, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Lucy responds by saying, don't worry, I never want to talk about it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lucy is, like, super upset just by the very thought of anything bad happening. Then I believe 
the next scene is uh, Lucy and Jack talking at wit's end, right? That's correct. So this is them after school talking about what they have heard, despite Lucy not wanting to talk about it. Jack is like, become obsessed. He has a tendency to latch on to things. And there, he he is like building on the information that they've gotten, and he's like branching off into like weirder territory by saying he thinks that the dad is like a mad scientist essentially. And it's funny because he doesn't say mad scientist. He's like, I like have heard that he checks out all these like smart books in the library. I bet he's a scientist. And Lucy goes, a scientist? Like that's and a bad thing. Exactly. The line delivery is so funny. It's like as if something horrible. <laughs> But that he thinks that all of the things being carried out into the van every night are his experiments. Something because Glenn told Cynthia, told Jake about some mm-hmm. cat that they saw. Oh yeah, somebody's cat went missing after it went into the Kirbin's yard and it's like, oh. So. Cat's gonna do what cat's gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, the, the, the reasonable explanation for this is probably not that this family is like a family of mad scientists or whatever. But that's kind of the point of the episode. You like already tell from the title that this is going to be about how rumors are bad and that they're generally not true. Mm-hmm. Like half of this stuff is just things <laughs> that Jack's made up in his head. Mm-hmm. And um, Wit enters the conversation, which is always a good turn of events. <laughs> and Wit's really reasonable about everything. Well, for one, Jack is trying to silence Lucy when she's trying to talk to Wit about it. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Mm. So what is their dynamic? When Wit approaches, he's asking, like, what do they want to drink? Mm-hmm. And Jack is asking for a soda for 45 cents. And then Lucy, I don't remember how it's introduced to Wit, but it comes up at some point that Lucy is kind of upset by what's going on with this family. Mm-hmm. And Wit wants to know more information. And then Jack is like, we don't need to bother Wit with our games Right, yeah, he trivializes it because I think at this point Jack has decided he wants to do something about it, like he kind of wants to investigate. And I feel like him hiding it from Mr. Whitaker implies that he knows that this is like something Mr. Whitaker would stop him from doing or would discourage him from doing. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Jack is like explicitly thinking in these terms, it's like, you both know it's not a game, you and Lucy, so why would you pretend it's a game all of a sudden? Like, it's kind of underhanded. But they do end up talking about it, Wit and Jack and Lucy, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Wit says that he also has not met the Kirbin family. And I think the kids kind of use that as proof later on. Mm-hmm. But um, Wit just says, well, I think some people just prefer to live privately, although it must be hard in a small town. And that seems like such a reasonable way to look at it. <laughs> I know, I wrote that Wit attempts to diffuse the rumors. Yeah, he definitely does. After Wit leaves the conversation with them, Jack is the one who points to Wit not knowing them as proof that Mm -hmm. they must be up to something. Yeah. (laughs) That's such a terrible line of thinking. And this is, I think, when he resolves that he's going to join this kid's paper route. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Then he wants to, like, see the truck for himself. Mm Mm-hmm. And do something about it. So we, the thing that made me the most mad in this episode was the thing that passed between Jack and Lucy. Where Lucy says, like, you're gonna do this. Like, you're taking this on yourself. Like, you're some kind of detective. And he says, yeah, why not me? If I find something, I could be a hero. Hmm. (laughs) Infuriating. (laughs) But, yeah, in America, Americans especially, um... This is a true statistic, or at least it was when I was, you know, getting my psychology degree in college, which is that American firefighters die, like, proportionately more than in any other country, because there is, in our country, like, this notion of individual heroism, that in a given situation, like, regardless of the danger or regardless of what the logical or the smartest or the safest thing would be to do, there is this notion that I could be a hero. I could do something. I could pull something off. Me, myself, could do something. And that sentiment gets people killed in dangerous professions. 
statistically, not talking about like individual people by any means, Mm -hmm. but when you take the aggregate of that is what our individualist culture does in certain dangerous situations. It pushes people to try to do things that they just shouldn't and that if you were raised in a different culture, it might teach you, you know, it's just not worth it. But in American culture, we're taught, you know, it is worth it. High risk, high reward. High risk, high reward. Yeah. And I don't know, that's kind of sad. And I think it is, it's an, it's a cost of being an individualist society to the extent that we are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, on the one hand, yes, this does mean that we are able to succeed in situations against the odds where other cultures maybe wouldn't, Mm -hmm. but also we fail a lot more. Mm -hmm. In certain situations. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's what it made me think of when Jack was saying, if I find something, I could be a hero. I mean... He's a kid, but it, like, kind of goes to show this has already been instilled in him, the notion that risking life and limb on basically no information is worthwhile. (laughs) And he's doing it without any regard for the people involved also. Because he believes, presumably, that something bad is happening. But I think what's more insidious is that I don't think he actually cares that something bad is happening. I think what he cares about is being a hero. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's not doing it because he thinks that this will collectively save people Mm -mm. from danger. No. I think what he is imagining in his head is being in the paper or something. Or being touted as the kid who found the body. The kid who, like, stopped the terrorist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's, like, cynical of me, but I- it's very hard for me to read it another way. I feel like nothing up to this point has led us to believe that Jack is thinking about this situation in any other way than as an opportunity for him to receive accolades. Well, let me think about this. Like, to put it in much, much, much milder terms, when I was a kid and when me and my friends were running around in the neighborhood and you see a poster of, like, a missing cat, boy, do you want to be the kid that found the missing cat. And I don't think I ever thought about making a family happy by returning their cat to them. (laughs) I think I did a little bit though. You know, because when you're a kid and you love animals and you have like a pet of your own and that kind of thing does, like there is an amount of empathy, but I think what is exciting about looking for a missing pet is the notion of, I found the missing pet. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. This is, after all, an album called Heroes, come to think of it. I was even thinking to myself, this story doesn't actually really have anything to do with the overarching theme of the album, but it totally does. Yeah, kind of in a roundabout way. In a roundabout way, yeah. This, like, as much as this is an episode about, like, the danger of spreading rumors, I think part of why that is dangerous is because it prompts people to do crazy things. Based on misinformation. Yeah. And boy, is that something that happens in our country and, like, has for a while. And I'm not just talking about, like, current politics. I mean, that's, like, the human condition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But especially in America, like I said, we will, like, go out and do dangerous things (laughs) to risk, you know, the chance of being the person who did the thing. Mm -hmm. Basically, the culmination of that conversation between... Jack and Lucy, after talking to Wit, is that Lucy is going to walk the long way to school Mm, the next morning, mm -hmm. and Jack is going to try and join this kid on the paper route, Mm -hmm. so he can see for himself what's going on with the van. Yeah, and Jack Jack thinks it's dumb to take the long way, Mm -hmm. so he's like, fine, you can walk by yourself, and Lucy is like, I will. And I was like, good boundaries in your friendship, I guess. Yeah. Because Jack does try to manipulate her into going with him. Right, by being like, it's dumb to take such a long way. But Lucy does stand her ground. And don't be a scaredy cat. Mm Mm-hmm. So they rejoin each other at school the next morning, and Jack says, like, joke's on you, kid wasn't even in the window this morning. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so they're like, oh, what could that be about? And then the teacher introduces John Kirbin. And oh my gosh, it's the kid in the window. He's in their class now. Everyone starts whispering. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
Um, but I think we go right to lunch, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And um, they see this poor kid eating by himself. And uh, they're back with Alice. Lucy, Jack, and Alice are all together. And Lucy feels really bad seeing him alone. Mm-hmm. And um, she kind of wants to join him, but she doesn't want to go alone. Right, when she says, like, I feel bad for him, like, I almost want to go over there, and she gets teased by the other kids being like, you were afraid of him, like, what now? And she's like, well, now I just see him sitting alone. I think Alice talks her out of it, which is really disappointing. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that, like, Lucy grows so much as a character over the course of Odyssey that, like, when you see her making this kind of mistake early on, it's like, oh, little baby Lucy didn't stand up to the peer pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. She's still so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she doesn't sit with him at lunch. It's very sad. He just eats alone, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then when we're back at wit's end at the end of the day, talking to Mr. Whitaker about this experience, um, I think this is where Wit kind of starts to pick apart the logic of the rumors. And Connie, it kind of fades into the background as Connie is coming in late to work and she explains that she saw this poor kid crying on the curbside on the way to work and that's why she's late. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how this kid was explaining that no one would talk to him at school. Yeah, and uh, then she thinks that he kind of had an accent maybe and he ran away even though she like tried to comfort him. And she gathered from some of the other kids that this is John Kirbin. And, um, that, yeah, that's how Wit finds out that this kid is now going to the school. And I think, does he talk to Lucy about it at that point? Yeah, because Lucy walks up to him all, all mad at Jack, who is gonna sneak into the house. Oh, yeah, I guess this is in the, in the meantime, Jack has told Lucy his plan, which is to go on the paper route that night and do something crazy. He, yeah, he wants to, like, get in there and get proof or something. Like, okay, Jack. Um. Okay, Jack. Okay, Jack. <laughs> I really don't appreciate this kid's scheme to, like, harass a poor family. So, Mr. Whitaker, this is where he starts to, like, pick apart the logic of the rumors of, like, oh, so you heard this from John. Well, no. Oh, well, then you heard it from someone who knows him. Well, no, I heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone. And Mr. Whitaker is like, hmm. Well, did any of them know the family? And she's like, well, no, you know, just other kids. And then that's when Wade is like, "Uh uh-huh. And then Lucy is like, oh, it seems kind of stupid when you put it that way. And he's like, it's extremely stupid. And I was like, whoa, they're using the stupid word. I know. I think this is the sort of thing where Wit waited for Lucy to say it first. Yeah, it is. And so him affirming it, yeah, is different. It's different than somebody coming in and being like, well, guess what? You guys are all stupid. <laughs> it's very different because he leads her to that conclusion through questions. Mm-hmm. And once she's said it herself and come to the right conclusion, he quickly affirms it to mm-hmm. make sure she understands, yes, you are exactly right. Mm-hmm. And you should be careful what you say and what you listen to. And you should know where your information is coming from and whether it's a primary source, being the person who did or witnessed the event, or a secondary source, someone who talked to a witness, or anything beyond that, and just use your brain and consider who you trust when you absorb information and what channel that information comes to you from. Mm-hmm. And the culmination of that conversation is that Wit has a big ask for Lucy. Mm-hmm. He wants her to walk with John to school. And Lucy goes, what? And you <laughs> The ominous spells. Yes. The ominous music of doom. <laughs> What do you want? I, I was wondering if thought that maybe we could... I would like to... Could I walk to John with school? I mean, walk to school with John? Go away. John is not going to school today or any day anymore. Thank you. That was an interesting choice. It was. 
I mean, I guess it, it's, it's what Lucy is feeling. Mm-hmm. And it what it does to me is because it leads into the next scene, it made me unsure whether the next scene was a nightmare Lucy was having or whether it was, like, actually the continuation of the story. I had the same thought. Because okay. the music uh-huh. continues through that scene. Yeah, and she goes up to the door and it's, like, got, like, a sort of dreamlike quality to it. But it does turn out that this scene is actually happening. Where she uh, knocks on the door of the Kirbin's house and the father opens the door and, um... It's a completely innocuous scene. It is. But I understand Lucy on a certain level because she's like, I was wondering if I could walk to school or walk to John with school, walk to school with John. And the father says, uh, John's not going to school today or anymore. And she's like, okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. Goodbye. And like talking to other people's parents when you're a kid is hard. It, it is very nerve-wracking, because it's like, you're an adult. You're an adult, and you're, like, a parent, but you're not my parent. I don't know. So, so like, I understand on one level that that's just, like, a nerve-wracking so- social situation for a little kid, not to mention the fact that she is just afraid of them to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, it's mo- a more awful experience than is reasonable because of her fears about this family. And she runs away and she runs back to the sidewalk and runs into Jack, I think. And she, and she says (laughs) such a great quote, which is, I don't care if Mr. Whitaker is Mr. Whitaker. I'm never doing anything like that again. (laughs) I just love, I don't care if Mr. Whitaker is Mr. Whitaker. As though that is like a meaningful statement. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It totally is in the realm of Odyssey. Mm -hmm. He is who he is. He is who he is. And I guess it wasn't this morning that Jack was executing his plan. It's the following day, right? Yeah. I was confused about that in the episode, actually. Oh, you were? Because I thought it was supposed to be that morning, and then it wasn't. He's, he's, he keeps taking steps in his plan towards being like, I'm going to talk to Alice's brother, and then at some point. It's going to be the next day, I think, at this point in the plot. Because, I don't does anything happen between then and Jack's secret mission? Uh, he just says he's going to bust the operation wide open. Right. All right. What operation, Jack? <laughs> you know, the operation. What operation? The mafia terrorist cocaine science operation. <laughs> I don't think one man loading a bag into a van is an operation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What what constitutes an operation? I think more than one person needs to be involved. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. Um... So that night, he goes with Alice's brother, and what I found funny about this scene is that Jack is, like, very excited to do, like, a whole spy reconnaissance thing, and the brother is very, like, I gotta get on with my paper route, like, can we get this over with? Like, this isn't gonna take too long, is it? He, what I wrote down is that he's very bored with spy work. (laughs) And Jack has been watching too many spy thrillers. Yeah, for real. Um, so he sneaks into their backyard, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so he trespasses, for one thing, which isn't cool. And he hides behind the trash cans. Mm-hmm. And he's on the walkie-talkie, which gives a good excuse for him to be narrating everything that he's doing for yeah. the listening audience. Um, so he's explaining what he's doing. He sees the dad. He sees the bag that he's carrying out to the truck. And then a cat, like, scares him or something. Also, over the walkie-talkie, he's seeing the bag and immediately is like, call the police. Oh my gosh. Wait, no. Not yet. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, almost jumped the gun there. After instructing him to only call the police if he's in danger. Oh my gosh. Jack, help. <sighs> um, so, yeah, he gets disturbed by this cat and he's trying to shoo it away, knocks over the trash cans, and then the dad, Mr. Kirbin, of course, is like, who's over there? Like, what's going on? And yelling very reasonable things like that but jack jack yells murderer drug Drug dealer dealer. (laughs) call the police runs away screaming these things and the police are called yep 
And the police do come. And the police is a VAA. Oh yeah, the police is a VAA. This is, once again, we it's George Barkley. He's playing all kinds of people before he actually plays George Barkley. A regular Mr. Whitaker right there. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like it's not a VAA, a voice actor alert, if the person is just an established Odyssey character who also plays other people, or who, like, who plays bit parts, right? Because it's... Mr. Kirbin is Tom Riley. Oh. But that doesn't count, because Tom is, like, already a part of Odyssey. Yeah. Or what are the rules of our own podcast oh, that we question. make? <laughs> maybe VAA. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we can skip the ones where it's just an established person playing mm-hmm, bit parts. Mm-hmm. What would yeah? If it's interesting, I'll mention it. Yeah. I I find it interesting because uh, Tom Riley's voice actor is so um, versatile. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyhow, uh, the policeman comes, and the policeman is not particularly pleased with Jack, which is encouraging, at least. Yeah, because that scene could have gone a very different way. Yeah, like, if the police had been of the same mentality as Jack, heaven forbid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thankfully, the policeman is, like, okay, like, being very measured about it and being, like, uh... He's hearing both sides and kind of trying to quiet them both down because the dad is being, like, this kid came into my backyard and was knocking over my trash cans and yelling all kinds of crazy things early in the morning like what the heck at the same time that jack is being like he's a murderer and a drug dealer and he's carrying dead bodies and there's a dead body in the truck just check the truck check the truck it's like okay one of these people has a much more reasonable concern than the other but the police officer is like just for the sake of everything do you mind if i look in the truck and mr kirvin says isn't it customary to have a search warrant and the police officer says i could get one but do you mind? Mm-hmm. And it's like, isn't it just a bummer that you can be completely innocent and yet still be forced to go through the rigmarole just because somebody, like, lost their mind and accused you of something? Yeah. And I don't know what else can be said about that. It's a bummer. It's a real bummer. In any context where that happens, if the person is innocent, it's just like, I mean, it derails your life. And it kind of did. It derailed Mr. Kirbin's morning, which he explains. The police officer looks in the truck and looks in the bag, and lo and behold, it's a really nice carpet. One that he made himself. Right, yeah. The the officer is like, oh, did you make this? And Mr. Kirbin is like, yep, it's a family trade for generations passed down, and I take it to a warehouse in Connellsville. And I'm too late at this point. So... His whole day got derailed Mm -hmm. and his livelihood threatened. And um, the police officer is kind enough to offer to buy the rug because he really likes it. So that is a nice ending to that. Um, And the whole time up until they see the rug, Jack is like still yelling about it being a body. (laughs) And also tells the policeman, it's a trick. He's going to knock you out and put you in the van. Oh yeah, he's going to knock you out and take your gun and put you in the van. Like, oh... There is something to be said about, like, a responsible portrayal of police work in media, <laughs> yeah. perhaps. Because, like, you don't get this idea of police work from living in a small town. No. You get this idea from watching movies and TV. Too many police procedurals. Right. And it's like, do exciting things sometimes happen when you're a police officer? I'm totally sure that they do, because the job involves all kinds of things. But... Yeah, I don't know. Is There's something, I think, off about the notion that in our a lot of our media, it's like the notion that police are shooting people and arresting people and um, getting shot and getting taken prisoner, and this is the primary substance of their careers, as is portrayed in media. Media, I think, tends to skew it for the sake of drama. Right, because that's what's fun to see. But, like, that's what I mean about it being responsible, because, like, look what it did to this poor kid. Well, for one, this poor kid shouldn't be watching those kinds of shows. Yeah, he's a little young for that kind of stuff. But, I mean, even adults, I think, can get a sort of skewed perspective on what police work actually entails Mm -hmm. from the media that we consume. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to fix it, because it's like... You shouldn't even be making the show if there's not going to be any drama to yeah, the story. Yeah, that's the thing, too. But... You want something exciting to watch. Maybe disclaimers? 
I don't know. I don't know. Well, and the thing is, these things don't just affect people in terms of thinking like, oh, the police have very exciting lives and run around arresting criminals and da-da-da. But it also, like, it affects people in juries, you know, who think because of police procedurals that the forensic system works very differently than it does. And, Mm -hmm. you know, DNA evidence and all these things, you know, we have sort of a skewed understanding of how the justice system even functions. And that eyewitness testimony is reliable, which it's not. Yeah, as reliable as other types of evidence. Um... Boy, this is like a whole rabbit hole to go down, but I feel like it's because we're seeing like, this isn't really the first time we've seen police work in Odyssey, but I feel like this is the first time we've seen this kind of police work. Uh, Addressing local disturbances. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen a policeman testify in a courtroom. We've seen a policeman at the police station, like, being like, here was the missing kid. Mm Mm-hmm. And I... I guess we've seen police work in the case of the secret room. Yeah. But that was very different. That was like a noir, sort of. <laughs> that was a completely different genre. It was a, yeah, totally different genre than a bunch of kids lose their minds and ruin a family's day. <sighs> I don't know. I guess I just really feel for the Kirbin family in all of this. And I f- can't help but feel like I didn't feel that way as a kid. As a kid, I think I identified more with the kids in the story who are doing something fun in their neighborhood, which is creating their own drama and trying to resolve it, which is something that I did with my friends as a kid. But they're doing it at quite a cost to this poor family. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, there is an an aspect to this that it is purely imaginative play Mm -hmm. in their minds. Mm -hmm. But when it involves the lives of real people, it becomes dangerous. Yeah, and I I almost feel like it would have been better if Jack hadn't been so totally consumed by this. Yeah. Just because it's hard to imagine that he really believed all of this stuff. But I don't know. At the same time, I guess it's sort of a cautionary tale about, you know, how a reasonable person can come to believe very unreasonable things based on no evidence. Yeah. So I guess after all this drama goes down, they're back at wit's end again. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what happens at Wit's End? That's the end of my notes, I think. Uh, when they're at Wit's End, Lucy and Jack are both kind of feeling a little cowed from the whole experience. Mm-hmm. And Wit has a point to make about how people mistake privacy for sneakiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and he gives a talk about rumors being responsible for all this also. Yeah. And he says something really nice, which is that the one good thing that came out of this is that he got to talk to Mr. Kirbin himself. And that he's going to buy a rug from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is a lovely sentiment that at least it connected me with this person. Mm -hmm. This person who was so universally feared (laughs) not a day ago. That essentially this altercation Mm -hmm. gave him the opportunity to make a new friend. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and I guess also John is going to start going to school. This is the point at which uh, Mr. Whitaker explains certain things that the kids had heard, which is that um, the mother doesn't speak English very well. That's why she doesn't talk to people in the grocery store. Because rather than make a mistake, she just doesn't try at all. Mm-hmm. That's definitely how I am with foreign languages. Mm-hmm. Not so certain people that I know. And I honestly feel like it's better like to to make a fool of yourself if you're that kind of person i don't know it's better to try because people will appreciate it yeah exactly when i was in germany i had to speak german Uh because that was part of our program Uh uh-huh so whenever i was in a store i had to use whatever german i had at my command (laughs) to try and communicate Mm -hmm. and i mean most often they speak english and they can pick out the american accent very quickly Mm -hmm. and they'll switch Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mean that to, like, shame people who don't attempt to speak English, but I just mean, like, usually people appreciate it if you try, but I am not one of the people who tries. (laughs) I'm too shy. It's too hard. Like, I don't think I'm a shy person in English, but I think trying to speak a different language, I just, I don't know. It's hard. I've never been in that situation, though, where I lived in another country for an extended time. Uh, another fun anecdote, when I went to Paris with my sister in, mm-hmm. oh gosh, 2019, mm-hmm. two years ago now, um, we stayed with a French musician while we were there, 
and he had a bunch of his musician friends over for like a parlor party and everyone there spoke like some mix of French, English, Portuguese, Spanish and the conversations were really fun because everyone wanted to practice in a language that was not their native language so I was speaking French the whole time and this uh, Portuguese speaking musician wanted to speak English and practices uh-huh. English with me and my sister. Uh-huh, because it's you and the Americans. So yeah. good. And so, like, throughout the conversation, like, both of us were asking periodically, did I say that right? <laughs> That's nice. That's fun. That's very fun. But, so, if I if I were an American who had moved to Turkey, I would be, like, the Mrs. Kirbin of the world, not talking to anyone in the grocery store <laughs> for fear of making a mistake. Mm-hmm. I um, think... The, the more different the culture is, too, the more terrifying it becomes. Because... Yeah, because then there's the added, like, social layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true, true. And Mr. Whitaker also points out that they could be a very private family because of bad experiences in other towns. Yeah. Which I felt like this is another moment where it could be like, what kinds of bad experiences, Mr. Whitaker? They're kind of tiptoeing again. Say more. And, like, I understand why he doesn't immediately volunteer it to the kids, but it is sort of implied that they could have faced racial bias Mm -hmm. and cultural bias, and it would have been nice just to have that explicitly recognized, and I don't think that that's something that needed to be censored for the sake of children listening. I mean, if you can say the words mafia, terrorist, and cocaine in this episode... (laughs) Then I think you can say cultural bias or racial bias. Yeah, And I mean, those might be words that you have to explain to kids, but I mean, you can explain mafia, terrorist, and cocaine (laughs) if you want. (laughs) I think it's more important to explain words like cultural bias and racial bias. Oh, anyway. I think we are more comfortable with things that are physically threatening than socially threatening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and things, things that are easier to condemn because you can condemn, like, terrorist weapons. But it's harder to condemn a racial bias because that is close to condemning a person rather than just condemning a thing. Mm -hmm. Even though racial bias is just a thing. It's an ideology. Yeah, it's an ideology, but um, it's, it's just, it's a sensitive thing in America because it's so deeply ingrained in our history. Which I find ironic because we are an immigrant nation. Yeah, it is extremely ironic. So, anyway, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about that? Are you interested in discussion questions? Oh, boy. Or all that. We should say the episode ends um, with Lucy bringing Jack into Wit's End. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, Jack. Lucy bringing <laughs> John Kirbin. I mean, another J name. <laughs> yeah, another J name. She's been hanging out with Jack this whole time. She brings John into Wit's End, and he thanks Connie for trying to cheer him up the other day. And it's like... Ah, they're friends now. Okay, and this is the one thing that Mr. Whitaker did in the episode that I thought was not a good idea. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Did you write it down too? Because you're laughing. But when she introduces him as her friend, Mr. Whitaker is like, Oh, he's your friend? I thought you were afraid of him. And he's definitely saying that to set her up. But, like, that's not a nice thing to say. I'm like, hi, Mr. Whitaker, here's, this is my friend. Oh, that's your friend? I thought you were afraid of that kid. Like, (laughs) poor John. But, I mean, he says it so that Lucy can be like, no, don't be silly, Mr. Whitaker. You can't believe everything you hear, Mr. Whitaker. Right. A a quippy little jab about rumors in an episode about rumors just to prove that Lucy has learned her lesson. But, yeah, I don't know. I was like... You can't say something like that, Mr. It was so that this could be an Everybody Laughs episode. Yes. Well, he's the only one who chuckles. It's it's a Mr. Whitaker Laughs episode. A Mr. Whitaker Laughs episode. (laughs) That is also definitely its own category of episode. That, That is the end of that. And what Chris pulls out of all of this is um, James condemning rumors and talking about how the tongue can like be like a spark that lights a huge fire mm-hmm. tiny part of the body but very powerful what else does she say do you remember mm, uh, i ran out of space to write down notes at that point 
I think she just also universally condemns the kinds of things that, like, rumors can do to people. Like, she condemns uh, rumors and spreading them and all that. Mm-hmm. Which is a good takeaway for an episode about rumors. Yeah. I just wish they had gotten more into the reasons behind the rumors. Thing bad. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the thing that's missing. They, they don't talk really much about why these kids are spreading rumors. Other than that this family is very private and keeps to themselves. But which I think the real reason is, as we've already discussed, it's because they're culturally different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I feel like almost that they don't do enough of a job of saying this is what can happen when you spread a rumor, like you can do serious damage to a poor family. Mm-hmm. And I mean, him him not making it to the warehouse one day, I don't know how truly terrible of a thing that is, but I mean, it was a bad experience to have the police called on your family in the early morning. So, I don't know. But I thought it was an interesting take how Mr. Kirbin in her acts with the police because that did not feel true to how a how a family that is an immigrant family would interact with the police necessarily i think that they have different just from what i've read from people's first-hand accounts so this is a what second third-hand account by this point Mm -hmm. just that the strategies you use when talking with police are different and a lot of it has to do with not making waves, waiting to be spoken to, doing everything you can to appear non-threatening. Yes, that is interesting because he does behave for all intents and purposes the way that like a white American born American man would talk to the police, which is like we Americans like to insist on our rights, like Mm -hmm. insisting on the right to not open our truck Mm -hmm. without a search warrant, even though he does comply. Yeah, that's true. The, yeah, the, and it's like, on an individual basis, yes, there, there are definitely some people who, like, no matter what your background, you might behave this way because, like, that's how he is as a person. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, he maybe he knows his rights and he maybe he hasn't bad, had bad experiences with police in America. But yeah, it is interesting the way that he is written that he, like, basically culturally acts the way that, like, a white American would act. Yeah. It struck me. Yeah, yeah, it strikes me now. I wonder if, is it fair to say that um, that whole scene with the police is designed more to make Jack look like a fool than it is to make the audience feel bad for what was done to the Kirbins? I think so. Yeah. And it kind of does both, but... Yeah, the point of it isn't like, Jack, look what you did to this poor family. It's like, oh good, everything wasn't the way that you thought it was, and now you look like a silly boy. Mm-hmm. Like, thank goodness that it wasn't more damaging. Yeah, I just wish, like, the police do tell him to be quiet and to stop being, like, I, like you know, be, sit still and be quiet or I'll put you in the squad car kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I kind of wish that there had just been one stern word to him after the fact of, like, either from Mr. Whitaker or the police or some authority figure to be like, look what you did to this man. Do you feel bad about it? And Jack to be like, yeah, I shouldn't have done everything that I did. Like there should have been that moment of like the post punishment talk that Mm -hmm. a lot of kids get when they do something wrong. I'm Mm -hmm. like, do you understand what you did wrong in this situation? Mm -hmm. And do you recognize why this was a bad thing to do? And also, we're calling your parents, maybe? Yeah. It would have been... I'm sure those kinds of things happened, but it would have been nice to hear them. Yeah. So, all right. Now it is high time for... For discussion questions. As I drop off mic. I'm very curious what the discussion questions are for this episode. Because I'm sure at least one of them is going to be along the lines of, why are rumors bad? I'm sure. The first one is a good question. What was Jack and Lucy's first mistake when it came to the Kirbin family? Their first mistake? Mm-hmm. Lucy was the one who started talking about them behind their backs. Yeah. And I feel like, on the one hand, that was the first mistake that really kicked off the rumoring. And then before that even, I think they started to form opinions without evidence. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's it's hard to say that you shouldn't be creeped out by somebody that creeps you out, though. You know what I mean? I feel like, on the one hand, that kind of situation is, like, th- that's a defense response. That's your your brain and your body telling you, like, you might be in danger. Mm-hmm. And, like, there are times when it's important to listen to that. But also, I think there needs to be an understanding that you're operating off of incomplete information. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't form biases based on purely, purely your opinions about a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so I guess, yeah, it was a mistake to start believing things based on no evidence other than word of mouth that came from nowhere. And conjecture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. Maybe it wasn't right for Lucy to start expressing her discomfort to someone. But see, the problem, I, I don't know if I'm comfortable saying that, though. Because the rules change when you get a gut feeling about somebody, because gut feelings can be so important in protecting people Mm -hmm. from people who are actually dangerous. I think the rules kind of change when this kid is her own age. Yeah. But even so, you can get dangerous feelings about someone your own age when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe the problem is you need the help of an older, wiser, outside observer mm -hmm. to help you separate those feelings that are coming from your gut and trying to protect you and mm-hmm. things that are purely based on bias and conjecture. Right. Yeah. And I mean, when you're little, like I remember being little and being out on Halloween, like for the first time and not knowing whether the monster masks were real or not, I had to rely on my dad to tell me that's a rubber mask. That's not a real werewolf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have like a distinct memory of that, of him carrying me around and being like, you know, telling me because I had my tiny baby brain just was not sure. So maybe, yeah, maybe Lucy's first mistake was listening to Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when she expresses her her discomfort and then Jack starts filling her mind with all kinds of... Um, Horrors. Yeah. And that was not nice of him to do. So he's really the one who starts sharing, like, rumors. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think maybe it was a mistake for her to trust his opinion without consulting someone... She trusts. Right. I guess she did trust him, but she should have talked to somebody wiser. Yeah. Older and wiser. Wit. Or her parents. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Although clearly Jack's parents also filled his head with... Something. Yeah. About her being... About the the mom, I mean. Mm Mm-hmm. Mrs. Kirvin. Being rude. Mm Mm-hmm. It could have, and that could have been something as innocent as the mom being like, oh, the strangest thing, I saw Mrs. Kirbin in the grocery store and she didn't say a word to me. Very odd. And her just kind of talking aloud about it, you know? Because it does seem like Jack has a habit of taking what people say and misconstruing it. <laughs> Blowing it out of proportion. So, it, yeah, it might not have been anything that the mom said bad, but it's like, it goes to show the power of the things that you say around kids. Or maybe she said something really mean. We don't know. We don't know because we never heard and we can't make any conjecture about that. Um, all right, let's go to question two, which is why is it wrong to listen to rumors about people? So you were right. There was a question of (laughs) why are rumors bad? Well, for one, rumors don't really give you an accurate picture of who people are. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, and I think it's like for reasons that we said earlier, it has to do with how true is the information that you are hearing. I think that's the difference between like a rumor and a factual account that someone is telling you of like, I saw this thing happen and here is someone else who also saw it happen. Like that's not a rumor, that's eyewitness testimony. But if you have somebody be like, I heard, you know, from so-and-so who heard from so-and-so, it's like the amount that you can trust each successive link in the chain weakens to the point where it's like, it is no longer wise to be making any decisions or opinions based on what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Like kids, if you've ever played that game of a uh, telephone, mm-hmm. that'll give you a very good picture of what happens to a rumor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's question three. What does the Bible say about gossip? Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, and it causes all kinds of problems. I think Proverbs has a lot of good things to say about... Like, Proverbs is full of good metaphors <laughs> for what things are like, but I don't know any off the top of my head. Let me look one up really quick. Oh, snap. Here's a good one. The words of a whisperer. 
are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. That is a very upsetting notion. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what happens in this episode. It's like Jack really took these things into heart and it went down into the inner parts of his body and influenced what he did. Yeah, he completely internalized them. Yeah. It's really hard to unlearn opinions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lastly, but not leastly, when someone starts to tell you a rumor, what should you do? This is hard in, like, the workplace. Uh-huh. Because we are no longer kids, and I feel like I encounter so many more rumors as an adult than I ever did as a child. <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe as adults we're just privy to more information about other people than mm-hmm, you are as mm-hmm. a child. And here's a thing, too, that is generally relevant to our experience as adults in the modern world with the internet where anyone can say anything. It's not biblical, but it's a Mark Twain quote that it is easier to fool someone than to convince them they have been fooled. And yeah, doesn't that just ring true in life in general? And so that makes it very difficult to know what to say when someone is spreading a rumor to you. Because I feel like when someone is spreading a rumor what they want out of that experience is like the delight of imparting something secret they want you to believe it like it's no fun to tell someone a rumor if they're like hmm that doesn't sound true you know what I mean yeah (laughs) so they want to be believed they don't want you to challenge them in any way I mean it's the same reason it's fun to share any other kind of information like talking about your special interest. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, it's the exact same joy, but it's just twisted. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that makes it hard because I don't think that telling someone you're wrong and here are the logical reasons why you're wrong actually works. I think, I mean, that's proven like psychologically also. I remember a while back I listened to an episode of a very different podcast um, that was each episode tackling like a different difficult question. And one of them was about like, how do you go about changing someone's opinion? Like actually. And um, there was like a method for it that had to do with, you know, a psychologist who specialized in getting people out of cults. And... Like, you really have to put in the work of building a relationship and empathizing with that person. Say, like, oh, so you, like, this is what you believe. And to really, really do the work of understanding, like, what it is they believe and why they believe it. And only once they feel heard by you can you start to ask them why, you know, Mm -hmm. and start to bring them around But I think that's, like, the biggest mistake in our discourse. In this current day and age. Yeah, in this current day and age. And I mean discourse, like, in all platforms, is that we don't take that approach. We take the approach of, um, we know that we're right, and so we, like, beat the other person over the head with it. And I think it takes a certain measure of humility to listen to the other person's perspective, especially because none of us really know 100% that we're correct. Mm -hmm. You have to have a sort of openness to being wrong before you can try and convince someone Mm -hmm. of something. So it takes, and, and being open to being wrong, I think it takes humility and it takes a certain degree of security Mm -hmm. also. Like you need to feel secure in Christ. That is like really the only secure thing. Yeah. And, like, if you have a solid foundation that you are not movable from, then it is easier to open yourself to possibilities without worrying, well, if I let go of this belief, then I'll slip and slide and eventually I'll be a communist or, like, a... Mm. (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Whatever ideology you disagree with or you're afraid of or you're trying to talk somebody out of, it's, like... You can't be afraid of that slippery slope yourself. You have to be secure in Christ and you have to be super patient. And um, you can't give in to the temptation of that delightful feeling of making someone else look like an idiot. (laughs) Because it is very tempting. It's so tempting because sometimes some people make it easy And I I mean, like, regardless of what their opinion is, uh, like, if you're reasonably sure that you're right, like, you can talk circles around people who don't make as good of an argument as you. 
Mm-hmm. And it's easy to, like, make memes or to post quotes or to do things or to quote other people who have said really juicy things that really encapsulate whatever your opinion is. And it's easy to do that instead of trying to change people's opinions. And I think that is what dominates, like, discourse in politics and things like that in the modern age is that we don't actually really want to convince people. We just want to kind of rest on our laurels of correctness. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this kind of connects to Jack in this episode of it's not that he wants to stop the terrorist from, you know, doing whatever. It's like he wants the glory for himself to be the person who did the stopping of the terrorist. And it's like we don't really want to be the one who, like, we don't really care so much about convincing the other side as we care about being the one who said the quote that made the other side look bad, you know? Yeah. (laughs) To a degree. I think, hopefully, and I know for a fact that people are having these sort of quiet, effective discourses with people that they are close with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the important thing, is that you really can't have that kind of conversation with someone until you've established a relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because there are so many platforms out there nowadays for you to have these massive conversations Mm -hmm. with people you've never met. Right. And those are just yelling matches, by and large. And I think what's dangerous about that is that it can make you feel exhausted and or it can make you feel really good about yourself. And if you feel really good about yourself, you are probably less inclined to do the hard work of actually convincing someone. And if you're exhausted, then you are also less inclined to do the Mm -hmm. hard work because you've given up. Yeah, you're too drained. So... Be wary. Stay off the online forums is what I'm trying to say. More or less. Is that what I'm trying to say? I think it is. I think I'm trying to say that it's fruitless and be very cautious and prayerful about your engagement with topics that you care about. Mm -hmm. Be wary that you are neither draining yourself nor making yourself feel too good without convincing people. Yeah. Man, this went... All kinds of places. It went so far away from rumors, but yet it's still, it's totally still relevant because it's about trying to convince people and trying to share information. This is tangentially related. (laughs) Yeah. But like way back to my earlier point about like work rumors, it's hard when somebody tries to share a rumor with you and they're doing it out of like trying to bond with you because I feel like that's what happens at work is people will be like, oh, so-and-so, they're such a whatever. And it's like, that's not really a rumor, but in the same spirit of it, you're meant to try, like, you're meant to kind of enjoy. You're meant to agree. Yeah, you're meant to agree. And it's meant to be like, this is the social order of the social group that we are in. And it's hard not to engage with that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What does one do? I feel like my manager actually does a really good job of diffusing that when it happens. So what does she do? Um, If it happens in a call or in like our shared chat, Mm -hmm. which is how most of us communicate because we're spread across multiple offices, Mm -hmm. um, her like her first thing is like, hey, guys, let's try and keep this positive. Mm. Yeah, saying like something like that is that's a great thing for a leader to do. And it's hard if you're not. A leader of the group. Yeah. But this is, that's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus would do is like, Jesus wasn't afraid to make social situations awkward, but I am afraid to make social situations awkward. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not a manager. <laughs> it's, and it, the weird thing, it's like such a small sacrifice in the grand scheme of things, but yet it's harder than doing grand gestures. Well, I feel like it kind of puts a distance between you and the social group. Mm-hmm. So you sacrifice your social standing or your relationship with your coworkers mm-hmm, to a degree mm-hmm. when you do that because it's like I don't know if you're necessarily stopping the rumors it's probably just they won't be directed at you anymore. Mm-hmm. It's good for people to know that you are that kind of person around the office though. Yeah. So it is worth it especially in the grand scheme of eternity. But um, <laughs> yeah it's interesting that it is so hard final thoughts that was it that was my final thought interesting how life is hard (laughs) (laughs) do you have any final thoughts nope
think we covered it. We did cover it. I think oftentimes the discussion questions will encapsulate like any final thoughts that we have. If you have any final thoughts, please shoot us an email at podventuresinodyssey at gmail.com and tell us what you think we should have titled this episode. (laughs) Do you agree with our choice? Do you want to hear something different? I don't even know what it's going to be yet. I'm so curious. What naming conventions do you use for your podcast? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question now. So as per our new podcast tradition, the next episode that we're going to be covering is Back to School. And until then, thank you all for joining us for this Podventure and Odyssey. Until next time. Catch you later, Cat's Paws. Bye. That was it. That was my final thought. Interesting how life is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Title of the episode. (laughs) Interesting how life is hard. I feel like I had like a punny sort of idea about what this episode could be called, but... It never came up in the discussion. You could call it Terrorists, Cocaine, and the Mafia. (laughs) Oh no. No, we can't call it something like that. No. I think that was a thought that I had though.